What happens when a Catholic deacon matches wits with a Catholic radio show host? You get a marriage made in heaven. They may not always agree, but they're always faithful. It's the Akins with their view from the pew on Modern Day Radio. And welcome to this episode of View from the Pew. I'm your host, Brenda Aiken, and joining me today is the man who thinks he can drive his truck like a commuter car, the good deacon, Scott Aiken. Well, you know, it does get great gas mileage for a truck, but, you know, I drive it like the kids say. I drive it like a little sports car or some some little uh, Nissan Leaf or something. But no, you're right. (laughs) I drive it like a commuter car. I am always amazed at how you maneuver your truck around, whether you're backing up into a space or you're pulling the trailer and backing it up into a a campsite. You're amazing with that truck. You get it around. I do not like driving your truck, not one bit. And I always feel like it's a punishment for me to have to drive your truck for different things (laughs) for whatever reason. I've got to drop something off or help somebody out. It's a big vehicle. But for you, you could be driving my little car or your big truck makes no difference at all. Like a penance. You have to you have to drive that every once in a while. No, you know, the other thing that uh, that the kids say is I I, I'm, I'm one of those people that people get frustrated at and parking in the compact spots because I can park my truck in a compact spot and I consider it compact because it's a short bit, but no. (laughs) That is not what they mean about about compact for sure. So, But you are going to be in your truck again this weekend. You pretty regularly make that trip from Vancouver, Washington to Seattle, Washington, because as a deacon of the Archdiocese of Seattle, that is where you go for ministry and different things. A wonderful event coming up and something that you've been able to participate in for a number of years, and it is the Kateri Celebration Mass. Yeah, so the uh, the Archdiocese of the Multicultural Program, uh, Archdiocese of Seattle, has uh, a mass every year commemorating St. Kateri. And this year it happens to fall on her canonization date, which is just fantastic. So we have... Uh, a host of tribal folks that come from all over uh, the Puget Sound area, the uh, Western Washington area, and we celebrate uh, her canonization. And I'll be actually singing, uh, drumming as uh, we enter in, process in, which I just, just as a as a native person, am so appreciative of the the Archbishop's support of that. Uh, it's a it's an honor song I'll be singing as we enter in. And for the Native community, it really connects us to our faith in a beautiful way that we love, we love Jesus. We absolutely love Jesus. And we love to share who we are as Native people. And the drum is central to many of our Native uh, communities throughout the uh, throughout the diocese. So I'll be doing that. And then afterwards, I get to stay a little bit and, and share some more of the drum songs that my grandfather had taught me. And so, yeah, it's just very... Um, edifying and uplifting for us to be able to celebrate as Native people in the Archdiocese of Seattle. So not only on my calendar did I know that you would be traveling up to Seattle for this special event. What I also rely on and see often is that on my cell phone, I have my social media apps and Facebook pops up often with memories, things that I've posted over the years on this date. So on the day that we are recording, it popped up a memory and the memory was a picture of the Pieta. 
and I mean the Pieta in uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. It was 11 years ago that we were witness to the canonization of St. Kateri Tekowitha. So the other thing, though, that I also recognize is that I have the ability to use my phone to look back on wonderful times. Now, what happens, though, is those social media things like to do things like remind you of things that you have done many years ago. And then what happens is I find that I just scroll again. It's got my attention. And then I end up looking at a reel and then I look in at somebody else's page. And then I go over to Instagram and look at those things before I know it. Now I've spent 30 minutes of time wasted looking at things that are unimportant which gets us to today's show. I had an incredible opportunity to talk to Sister Mauricia Weber. Now, she was here in Portland recently. She was a guest speaker at an event for the Portland chapter of the Catholic Medical Association. But what she talked to me about as we were promoting that event was addiction to social media and screen time. And it really set me in a kind of a whirlwind because I, as she was talking, I realized how I had become connected to social media in ways that I did not intend. So we're going to share with you on our show today, parts of this incredible interview where she really details how we become so addicted to screen time and especially how it's becoming at a younger and younger and younger age. And then when we come back, we'll share how we're addressing this, especially with a new baby in our family, our granddaughter, who we're mindful of, can be impacted like we have been impacted. So how do we approach that differently? We want to share that with you. So we have a very powerful show for you today. So please stay with us on this week's View from the Pew. Hello and welcome to Catholic Bite 60 Seconds, where 2,000 years of faith and tradition is explained one minute at a time. I'm Father Tim Furlow of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, and today we're going to talk about screen time. If you're like me and you've reached an age where your natural collagen production has plummeted, then you probably remember a bygone era when screen time meant how long you sat in front of a magical box projecting images into your brain at a whopping 7.5p resolution. Very quickly in the world, we've gone from maybe some TV in the evening to I can't be alone for 10 seconds without pulling my phone out. Now we have bigger, flatter, clearer TVs, tablets, phones, you name it. Some of us spend almost every waking moment in front of a screen. In nine years, we've become very adept at consuming media. But let's never forget, there won't be any screens in heaven. There, the only things we'll want to spend time looking at are the faces of the ones we love. With the 
autumn season comes football and tailgating, and there's no better way to score a touchdown than by passing that old vehicle of yours to Mater Day Radio. We're happy to accept your donation of a car, truck, van, RV, or boat. It's quick and easy and a likely tax deduction for you. Not only that, you are joining a winning team that's supporting a faith-filled Catholic broadcast. So score some points by checking out our vehicle donation program at MaterDayRadio.com. Family life can be hectic, but God can be found right in the middle of it. So take a moment for this week's View from the Pew. Many would agree that a person does not set out to become addicted to a harmful behavior or substance. Children are warned of the dangers of drugs, and sometimes they take the risk anyway. But other addictions begin in what seems to be a harmless distraction. Adults have access to so many things online, and as we raise our families, it seems that earlier and earlier ages, kids are introduced to online programs, and doctors are only now discovering the changes in the neural pathways of children due to excessive screen time and social media. So what can we do? Sister Marisha Weber is a religious sister of Mercy of Alma, Michigan, and a physician certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. This morning, Sister Marisha is joining me today to talk about social media and the effects on every family. Good morning, Sister Marisha. Thank you so much for joining us on The Morning Blend. Well, good morning, Brenda, and thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, Sister Marisha, in your presentation, you're going to be speaking about screen use and how this has contributed to screens being one of the most pervasive addictive behaviors we have today. Tell us more about it. Yes, Brenda, we never thought that when the Internet first came out that something that you see with our most sensitive sense, and now there's more sounds involved, could create an addiction. But what the research has undeniably communicated over these decades that indeed screen use, it's actually overuse, has created changes in the brain that are just like substance abuse, like what you see in alcoholism, what you see in crack cocaine use, which was never expected. And so that's something that I think was quite a surprise. And, you know, now so many are using, you know, the, these um, devices, especially now that we have this cell phone that only came out in 2007. So when you think 2007 was not that long ago, but apparently a few statistics, 95% of teens use social media every day. Mm-hmm. And a third of them say they use constantly. They're not stopping to use it. It's constantly driven to do that. There's an urge. Why is that? And... of children under one today, this is a study by the Journal of American Academy of Pediatrics just a few years ago, 90% of children less than one use a mobile device daily to play games, watch videos, use apps, and this is an even more surprising statistics, and even every year that I do this, it gets younger and younger, this same study said that children begin to interact with digital media by two or three months of age. So we are now seeing this urge, this desire to kind of pick up and look at these images because there's signs of withdrawal, because there's an addiction that has evolved 
that we never anticipated. And really, I think the culture has been kind of surprised. We've almost become like the victims of something that created an addiction that we never knew would. And that's why I think it's important to, to talk about. Oh, I listening to you speak, I can just recognize in my own daily behavior how even moments of quiet, maybe those moments where God is urging me to connect with him, my first inclination is to pass the time by looking at my phone. And boy, this is a topic for every single person. Sister, where you talked about how young people, how teenagers have this urge to use their phone, that they've become addicted to it. Now, for myself, I've recognized that also. I've even used the opportunity, taken the opportunity to give up Facebook, TikTok platforms for Lent. To be successful at that, though, sister, I recognize I had to actually delete the apps from my phone because knowing that they were there, that I could just touch the button was just too much of a temptation. And in fact, I never got back on TikTok because I recognize the addiction that I had gotten to that and the amount of time that I was wasting. So how do social media apps capitalize on those types of addictions to make their apps popular? Well, thank you for asking the question, because this is so common. So many of us have an urge to pick up the phone and look at what's going on. And, you know, as technology improves, so does the ability to engage and arouse. And indeed, these social media apps really have capitalized on this potential. You know, I want to go back to historically, around 40 years ago, there's a psychologist that did a study on pigeons because they did understand already that dopamine is the neurotransmitter that wants you to seek, desire, do again that which was pleasurable. So he dropped food pellets and then tried to see how much dopamine was released. What he discovered was that when he dropped food pellets at unpredictable times, that more dopamine was released. And so they would have a greater urge to seek the food pellets. Now, fast forward to our current culture. Remember Mark Zuckerberg, you know, who wanted more engagement in his Facebook. Um, you might recall that Facebook initially was something that he developed when he was um, in college. And it was really an electronic um, directory where there was to be a picture of a faculty and the students and maybe with the faculty where they were working. It was pretty static. So people weren't going to pick it up much. So when he had the brainstorm to create this as something for the general public and named it Facebook, he was disappointed because people were not accessing it very much. So it's 2007. He has millions of um, persons who now are, you know, on Facebook, and he's saying to his neuroscientists, um, please devise something that will make persons want to pick up their phones more frequently. And guess what that was? It was the like button. It was the like button. Uh. Because that completely changed Facebook. It transformed it into an interactive app. And it accessed the same unpredictable positive feedback that motivated Ziegler's 
pigeons. So anytime that you saw a like, you, you were like a gambler. You wanted to see what, what the message was. So it made you desire to find out what it was, to seek what you know, the message was about. You may not even like the message, but you see here, this is the urge. And today, our smartphones have so many <laughs> feedback buttons. And so Twitter, Instagram, Google, you know, all of these now have really harnessed what is called the power of variable reinforcement. But now the neuroscience have gone even farther. So it's not just something that you see, but now they've added the sounds. The ding, the buzz, the whoosh. Um, do you remember your high school psychology class about Pavlov's dogs? Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. So you remember he would ring the bell and then put down food and then ring the bell and put down food. And after a time, he would ring the bell but not put down food. And the dogs began to salivate to the ringing of the bell. Now, a bell has nothing to do with food, but what he did is he began to condition the dogs to associate the ringing of a bell with something pleasurable, like food. So now we have the whooshes, we have the dings, we have all of this. So it makes us want to seek, desire, look. So all of this is dopamine. Mm. But, but... Our brain not only has a seek, a desire, but it also has, this, that's, that's called the, um, the wanting pathway in our reward center, which is in the center of the brain. We also have what is called um, a liking pathway. And that liking pathway releases um, our natural body's endorphins or our opioids, so it's a feel-good. So, for example, if I enjoy, you know, a hot fudge sundae dripping with, you know, um, caramel sauce, I can really enjoy that. But then I also have a natural um, place in my, my rewards, and you've had enough, so that I'm no longer hungry. But dopamine would want me to seek more and more and more hot fudge sundaes, even though after two or three hot fudge sundaes, it, it's not it's not pleasurable anymore. It, okay. It's actually uncomfortable. I see where you're getting that, sister. Thank you so much for that. And boy, when you were just talking there about those like buttons, I think we all could maybe admit it to ourselves that if we ever post something online, what are we going back to check? Who's liked it? Who's looked at it? Who thinks about me when they see this? And it, you're right. It feeds it and feeds it and feeds it. And before you know it, you have spent so much time looking at your phone and I can see how those addictions start. All is not lost, sister. There is hope and there are ways to change this. Maybe we don't exactly know how to do that. So, well, offer us an alternative. So, you know, basically in um, May of 2023, the Surgeon General put out an advisory letter after consulting many experts and their research um, and he called it social media and youth mental health. And in summary, while he described that there was social media had many benefits, he also said, and this is a quote, there are ample indicators that social media can also harm children's well-being. So my hope is that offering this presentation, that we can educate individuals because education is really empowering. 
Because if we're not aware of how something affects us, we can't bring it to self-knowledge. Once we have some self-knowledge, then we can begin to make more reflective choices because choices shape who we are and who we want to become. So once I have some self-knowledge, I can take a little self-direction. Once I have a little self-direction, I might develop a little bit more self-control, a pause, a ponder. No, I've had enough to eat. I'm full. No, this is not good for me. Even though I have the urge to do it, it's no longer pleasant. I don't even like the messages anymore. I'm doing this now to get rid of the anxiety I have because I'm not looking at what I'm seeing, you know, what, what's, what's buzzing at me. And so the hope is with this self-knowledge, we can then develop some healthy self-control and then self-discipline, which really is true freedom. That's the dignity of our human person. Mm -hmm. And then really work towards a virtuous life. Well, sister, I am just so encouraged by your discussion. Thank you so very much for your time today. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I have had the great privilege of interviewing so many amazing people and interviews that have impacted me. But I will tell you this, I have not been so impacted and almost kind of distressed after that interview. And it affected me so much. I came home that weekend and I gathered our kids around and and you sat down too. And I said, I need for all of you to listen to this interview because not only could I very clearly recognize the things that she was talking about in my own life, but in our kids' lives. Now they are 18 and older, so they do have a little bit of autonomy as to how they choose to spend their time. And I needed to make it clear to them that they were being affected also. Yeah, you know, that's, uh, and it's it's human in what we're addressing. And I think we're on, still on the cutting edge of this this lifestyle, this experience of having that kind of technology at, at the beck and call, but to then filter it through, what are my responsibilities? Keeping those in, in the forefront uh, when we enter into various kinds of social media work or whether it's even watching TV. We don't know how far down, like Alice in Wonderland, the rabbit hole we go until we're now an hour or two or three hours into social media searching that we end up going, oh, my gosh, I've just wasted away potentially three hours of time. So, you know, the tension of figuring out what is valuable rest and entertainment for me versus what is consumptive of my other priorities. I have to come back and filter. And I think we're all learning that at the very base level, how do we filter what is the priority for us in the day? So Scott, we recognize the incredible value that technology has. In fact, technology is allowing you and I to be in two different places right now and see each other and be able to record. So there is a value to that. What is difficult and that I sometimes wonder about and how we were created is that we are created that we have 
I guess maybe an ability to become addicted to something like that. So the question is, so God knew the pitfalls of technology. God knew from the beginning of time that we would come to a place where technology could have a real hold and a real addictive quality to people's lives. So why does he allow us to have access to it and to be tempted by these pitfalls? Yeah, you know, I I think that, you know, with what she describes so poignantly is that there are chemical responses that are happening in our brain to the activities and the effects of the algorithms that draw us deeper into doing social media. So when these chemicals kick in, we're having this emotional and sensational response. Our kids are having it. The adults are having it. Regardless of whether they think they are, it's happening. It's just the way our, our brains have been created. Our bodies have been created. So I want to point out that, that God created us to be uh, ultimately in a state of ecstasy, in, in ecstasy and awe in his presence. And St. Teresa of Avila, when we were back there at the canonization of Kateri Tekawitha, we went and sought out that statue, that Bernini's uh, carving of Teresa of Avila in ecstasy. Well, she's in ecstasy as she prays, and she prays before the Blessed Sacrament. Our minds, our bodies are wired to ultimately be in ecstasy and awe of the Creator. And the devil pulls and plays on that creation and draws us our, our attention away and feeds us what is not lasting. And that's, you know, Christ's gospel messages. The good news message is that what he feeds us is eternal. It's like the woman at the well. If you drink the water that I give you, you will not thirst again, Jesus says to her. Well, we kind of come to these ecstasy moments through various vices at times that lead us to a place, but it's unfulfilling. And what we're seeking, what our bodies are created to be engaged in is the full fulfillment of the presence before the creator. And again, the devil just plays on that and draws us away from that through through these kinds of, of conditions. But the conditions themselves are not evil. The devil twists that to become something that be, is ab- abnormal or out of order. And that's be, that disorder is what we're talking about and what Sister just did so well in expressing. Well, I can surely attest that just last night as I was getting ready to sit down in that regular spot next to my phone charger to start looking at my phone, I made that conscious decision. I am not going to do that. And I went into the front room and I sat down and began reading a book. And before I knew it, one daughter had come down and we sat and chatted for a little bit. And then our other two children, they came in and like, well, what are you guys doing in here? They wanted to be a part of FaceTime with us in the front room. And that's how we ended up spending the rest of the evening. It was perfect. Scott, before we go, will you end us in prayer? Lord, we thank you for the great gifts of technology that we can use for your benefit. Help us to to see more clearly, to hear more clearly what your call is in the use of these items and the use of our day, that it may glorify you. And when we are not doing that, may we have mercy on ourselves and come back to right order with you gently. We ask your blessing upon us this week as we continue to live this life that you've given us with great joy and hope. We ask all of this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Please tune in next week as we share with you more stories about our faith, our family, and our view from the pew. God bless and have a great week. 
You've been listening to View from the Pew, a weekly look at faith and family life from a Catholic perspective with Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken. For more information on the Aikens and to listen to an archive of their previous shows, visit them online at moderndayradio.com slash pew. View from the Pew is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon.